want to go where the rivers cannot overflow me where my feet are on the That's where you're at this morning. We're here. He's here. But are you able to step into his presence this morning? Say, I don't want to just have it on the outside. I don't want to just feel it in my flesh. I want God to come speak to me in my soul. I want him to reveal himself in a greater way this morning. Do you desire that this morning? Amen. Let's just take our Bibles together then. Thank you, musicians. God bless you. Amen. We'll turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1.
ma'am. It's good to see each one of you again. I bring you greetings from a newfound land. It was new to me, but it wasn't new to very many people, but it was a wonderful time there. I was certainly blessed to be in Newfoundland with Brother Jonathan Curlett, his family, the saints of God there. They all wanted to send their greetings back here to you, and some of them may know you, some of them don't, but we had a wonderful time in the Lord. We had three services there, and I believe the Lord blessed it, and they were uh, very complimentive of, of the services, so I thank you for your prayers and remembering me as we went, as we traveled, and I was able to take my wife with me. I think that's the first time just her and I were able to go and minister somewhere, and it's really a blessing to have your wife with you. If I could do that every time I went, I sure would, but I unfortunately cannot. Um, sorry, honey. But uh, amen, amen. We'll read from Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I remember Brother Ed this morning, he's also preaching today in Phoenix, not in Phoenix, in uh, Tucson, Arizona. Brother Doug Baker has his 30th anniversary meetings there. He's speaking there, and the Lord's been good to them so far, but amen. Says that the glory that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. If you have something on your heart and you want to remember before the Lord, why don't you show it to him with an uplifted hand? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we come once more, Lord, before your throne of grace this morning. Lord, we know, Lord, as we read your word, it also says heavens and earth will pass away, but your word will never fail. Lord, we're thankful, Father, that just by the reading of it, Lord, we know that there's something in there, Lord, that is a reality. And Lord Jesus, it'll do more than anything I could say this morning. Lord, just those two, three verses read, Lord. But Father, we pray now that you would come and anoint it to our hearts, to our souls, Father, anoint it to our minds, Lord, that, Father, you'd wash us with the water of the word this morning. Lord, may you help us, Father, to see our place in you clearer, Lord, and the power, Lord, that you've given us, Father. Lord, we just ask that you'd come and be the voice behind the voice, Lord. We need you in this service, Lord. Thank you for the songs. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were glorified for each one that lifted their voices and sang. Father, we bless your holy name as we commit the rest of this service into your hands now, each need that is represented here. Father, you know the hearts that are represented there, Lord. Father, may you come and stand in the breach again for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of the word. You may have the comfort of your seats. Amen. So I want to just start here in this scripture. I, I really, I, I want to take a title this morning that... Um, and, and the title is Placing by Revelation. Placing by Revelation, which really we could just title it in one word, and that is adoption. 
but I want to just call it this just maybe to help you understand exactly where we're going and placing by revelation. I wonder if you'd take your Bibles as well and turn me to the book of John, John chapter 8, if you will, and then we'll read John chapter 15 as well. I know it's a Sunday morning, we'll probably read a lot of scripture this morning, and, and uh, we'll just allow the Lord to use it for his glory. Amen. But as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, I wasn't going to start with that scripture, but as I begin to read into it, where it talks about how Paul would even say, I, I cease not, in verse 16, to give you thanks, thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the Lord God of Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and give you revelation in the knowledge of him. Amen. So it's not just that he give you knowledge, but he desires that we would receive revelation of that knowledge of him. That we would receive that it wouldn't just be a learning and just an understanding, but rather that he would make himself real in the heart of the believers. Amen. We know that revelation is certainly nothing new to a believer that's been here in this church and that has, has, has listened to the message, that has read the message, and those who have, have uh, read the Bible and have believed it, revelation is something that comes directly from God. Amen. It doesn't come from a man. It may come through a man at times. It may come through ministry. It may come through different avenues. But it's not coming from the individual. It's coming from God. If it's revelation, it can only come from God. He's the one who's able to reveal himself to the individual. As God does not deal with Gentiles as a church, he deals with us as individuals. Amen. And in John chapter 8 and verse 23 he would say, and this is really where I want to take from this morning and talk about and say, he said, ye are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto them that you shall die in your sins, but if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. That's quite a statement. That's quite a uh, judgment even right there. As Jesus said, I didn't come to judge, but my words, they are the judge. They will judge because I don't speak of myself. I only say what the Father gives me to say. And now as he began to speak in this way, he's talking now to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees who are trying to say we're of Abraham, we're of this one, we're of that one. We know who we are. He says, no, no, no. You're from beneath. You're from this world. There's a, but there is a people that are from above. There is a people that are of a for kingdom. There is a people that are from God and they're going back to God. And in John chapter 15, maybe I'll just give you a moment if you have your Bibles, turn over a couple pages to John the 15th chapter there as we would, we would read here in verse 18 because now it becomes a reality as we know John chapter at the end of John chapter 13, Judas has gone out, and it's just him and 11 of his disciples there, and he begins to speak. John chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, just to them. And 17 really is the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. But as he's there, and, and as he's in John chapter 15, he says, if, you, if the world hates you, now he's speaking just to his own. Those that are of a different kingdom. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. For some reason, even though those words aren't exactly the most comforting, those are a very comforting words. To know that it, I'm not hated of somebody just because of me. It's not because of the way I do my hair, or the way I, I, I look, or the way I act that they hate me. No, there's something different about it. They hate me because they hated God. They hate me because of where I'm from. And it says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Hallelujah. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. You have to live here as Abraham was a pilgrim and a sojourner in a strange land. He was looking for a city not made with hands. We're still in the same place today. We're not of this world. We're pilgrims and we're sojourners. We, we, we don't have any recognition here, but rather there is something we're looking for that we have found by revelation and we're looking to be translated into one day. We want to be there because we recognize I my city citizenship is not of this world. Hallelujah. We thank God for the rights that we have as a Canadian. We thank God for the rights we have in North America, for the luxuries that we enjoy. But in all of it, our peace and our joy and our satisfaction is not found in these things. These things we know are temporal and they are passing away quicker than anything else. Because God has attributes in his body. Amen. Well, that, that certainly isn't anything new, and maybe this morning I'm just reminding you of a lot of things, but, but let me stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. It's okay. You don't have to act like you've never heard it before. I was enjoying pre pre studying this as I came up yesterday, talking to my wife. I said, I don't know if I don't know how to study or what, but I've got so many pages of notes, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to them all. So she said, maybe you just need to pray. So I went and I prayed. Did you listen to your wife? She's a part of me. I needed that advice. Amen. And God gave me a lot of good things. So here we are. God has attributes in his body. Like you are an attribute of your father. You notice you was in your grandfather's 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 grandfather. But in that, say, we'll, may, we'll take it down to like you and your father. Now you, you did not know anything when you were in your father. Amen. I didn't know anything about being in my father. But my looks tell me I came from him. I can't help it. I've been reminded so many times in the past couple of years, you do this just like him. You do this. You hold the ball. You, 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 your mannerisms, the way you talk, the way you speak, the way you preach, it's just like him. I can't help it. Therefore, the blood cell, he says, has the life in it. And when you're, you were in your father, you actually... You actually know nothing about it, but yet science and God's word proves that you were in your father. And you know nothing about it, but when your father longed to know you, and with a union or a connection with your mother, then you, you were made known to your father. How now, now you are your father's attributes. He says here, you look like him. You've got parts of your body that looks like your father. He says, now that's the way God was in the beginning. Every son of God and every daughter of God was in God at the beginning. Yeah, you didn't know anything about that. You don't remember that. You don't remember it now, but you were there. He knowed it, and he wanted you to become so that he could contact you, so he could speak with you, so he could love you, so he could shake your hands. God shaking my hands? Absolutely. You could turn to the person next to you and shake their hand. If they're a son of God and you're a son of God, it's what's happening right there. He desires to have fellowship with you. He desires. That's why he draws near when you get around and you begin to fellowship one with another around the word of God. It invites the presence of God into the area, into your presence, because he wants to have fellowship with you. And it's not just this brother having fellowship with them. 
that brother. It's the sieging of God on the inside of you, having fellowship with the sieging of God on the inside of you. Amen. Sometimes we need to break through all of those upper crusts or those outer layers that we have of how was your day today and how was work and how was this and how was that and break down beyond that to say, what's really on your heart, brother? Let's talk about the word of God. Let's allow the Lord to come into our midst. Let's allow him to have fellowship with himself and allow him to come into the room and to him to take control of our conversation. Amen. And we would find even if we take a few steps back now, we could, we could carry on with that. But in a few steps back into Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 49, if you put it up there, sister, says, and, you, and you, this is when Jesus then was at the temple and he was 12 years old and he was, they were looking for him for three days. They were trying to find him and they finally came and said, your father and I have sought you in tears. And Jesus said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying that he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all of these sayings in her heart. Hallelujah. She didn't understand it. But she kept it in her heart because she was wondering what it was all about. In other words, she did not understand what Jesus truly was and what he was going to go through and the things that would have to happen and that she would have to go to an upper room and she would have to receive power from on high. She didn't understand all those things, but she kept them in her heart, which is a phenomenal instruction for all of us as believers when we look at it and realize even when there's things said that maybe we do not understand, it's the right thing to do to keep it in your heart and say, Lord, you make it real to me in your good time. You, you unfold yourself and bring the revelation of the knowledge that you're laying out in my life. And it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Hallelujah. And we don't know much from that time, from about 12 years old, about 18 years till he was about 30. There's not a lot recorded in the scripture or nothing recorded in the scripture really about him. But we know in this little, little snippet, he grew in favor with God and with man. So something was happening that God was looking upon him. There was a testing. There was a trying that was going on. And he was overcoming by the word of God. Brother Brandon would talk about it. He'd say, what Mary thought, but altogether, no matter what the outside thought, she pondered all of these things. They hid it in their heart. They know they couldn't say nothing bad against it. Hallelujah. God had proved it to be real. It was the Holy Ghost that overshadowed her. It was an angel that met her. It was a miracle after miracle. It was a virgin that conceived her. She knew she was a virgin. I can't say anything against it. I know this is true. I know this is real, but I don't understand it. And then and, in and all of it, he, he goes on to say, and Joseph even know different. He knowed who the baby belonged to. Mary knew who it belonged to. Jesus knew who his father was. What did he say? I must be about my father's business, not sawing wood or making a door, but about the father's business. You can't understand that. He says, but it's time, it's time for me to be about my father's business. Hallelujah. That's what he was doing for those 18 years that the scripture records nothing about. He was still about the father's business. There was time for him. He says, no, you're not, that this must be what I do. Not making a door, not in the carpenter shop, not trying to learn how to properly plane a square and do all these things. But I have to be about what God wants me to do. Hallelujah. That's not saying that he never did pick up a planer again. 
Hello? That's not saying he never did pick up a hammer and nails again. No, he probably still helped Joseph. He probably still did things for Joseph. But when the father called, he knew he had to answer. When there was something for him to do, he knew he must be about the father's business. He didn't become so heavenly minded that he was all of a sudden no earthly good. But rather, he was walking on the earth, but he was not of the earth. Hallelujah. He says, what a thought. He says, that little cracked up child, an illegitimate child, is kind of an odd and a curious thing. Anyhow, he says, there you are. See, God hiding himself. God hides himself in what was thought of the world as filth and corruption and illegitimate. What the world thought of Jesus Christ was not good, but God hid himself in that. God is not concerned about what the world calls good. God is not concerned about what the world calls moral. God is in himself moral. God is in himself good. There is none good but God. He is not concerned. He doesn't seek the, 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 the approval of man. He is not a respecter of persons, but he will hide himself in whom he will hide himself. And he will hide himself in simplicity. God even says, or Brother Branham says, God hides himself in the corruption of a dead seed to bring forth life. That was us. He hid himself in the corruption of a dead seed that that seed had to go in the ground and die till you can't even find it anymore. It's completely gone. But he said, that's what I'm doing to bring forth eternal life. God hides himself even in a simple little washwoman or an ordinary man with a dinner under his arm and kiss his wife and children goodbye and go out there. God hiding himself in something so simple that the world knows nothing of. He even says someone that just goes out there and just kisses wife and children goodbye and maybe hide himself in that man to do something that the archbishop would know nothing about. You don't hear him blow no horns about it and send it out. God just gets the glory. That's all. A simple hear it and be glad. Hallelujah. God hiding himself in simplicity of human beings and our lives and the simplicity of our walks of lives, the simplicity of our place in the body of Christ. No matter how great or how simple it is, God wants to tuck himself in there. God hiding himself in the simplicity of a baby, hiding himself in the simplicity of a common family. Hallelujah. God hiding himself in the simplicity of your home. In the simplicity of your family devotion. God hiding himself in the simplicity of a mother tucking her children into bed at night. Telling them about Jesus. Praying over them before they go to bed. The simplicity of a father who would gather his children around and tell them about the stories of it or in the Bible. And minister to them as the high priest of the home. In the simplicity of saying, I can't even speak. I can hardly even talk to my children. God wants to step into that. And hide himself in there and reveal himself to whom he will. Oh, hallelujah. He says, the great man, the minds, the geniuses, all of them, the Herods and the, of that day and the Neros and the so forth and the Bezos and, the, and all of the, the other ones of today, God, they just overlook it. They're looking for the great. They're looking for the next. They're looking for the... God says, no, no, it's simple. Watch what God did when his son was born. He took him and let him go for 30 years of testing. 
and trying him in a place called Nazareth. To the point where even a saying had gone out, can anything good come from Nazareth? What a place to draw his son from and say, this is me hiding myself. Galatians 4 verse 1 to 6 would say, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons." And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And we know we could take Romans 8, 11, that would say, if the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, it will also quicken your mortal bodies. It will also bring your mortal bodies into subjection just like it did his. Amen. He desires to send his spirit, but that is a birth to birth you into his family. But he says it wasn't just for that purpose, but rather that you, that would be the tutor that would come into you, that would be able to lead and guide and teach you all things. Whatsoever he'd hear of the Father, he would send to you and he would teach you, but for a purpose so that you and I could come to a place of the adoption of sons. So that we could come to a place, in other words, of maturity, that the Father would recognize, that's my son. Paul is in here as, he, as he's laying out how adoption was done in the Bible times and how God still does it today in his children, that it isn't according to the age or the years spent serving. It doesn't say that he puts him under tutors and governors until he's 14 years old. Or until he's been in the message for 20 years. Or until he's been a minister. Or until he's preached. Or until he's been a deacon. Or until he's a trustee. Or until he's married. Or until he's got children. No, it's until the time appointed. It's according to God's own choosing that he decides that this one has come to a place of their maturity. This one is living by their revelation as an obedient son of God. As it says in Ephesians 1 verse 10, that says, In the dispensation of the fullness of times, that he might gather together all things in Christ, which are, both which are in heaven, which are in earth, and that are even in him. Now we'll come back to that, Lord willing, but I want to just, just go back to the Lord's testing, because after many years of being tested, testing his own son, which was the attribute that he took out of himself and made himself flesh, but the man would go on and say, then he gave himself three years of hard trial. 30 years of trials and testings and suffering and then three years of hard trial. Then at the end of the hard trial, when he had seen that his son was about the father's business, then came Mount Transfiguration. He took Peter and James and John, the three witnesses, he went up on the mountain and there God performed the laws of adoption. 
They looked up and they seen Jesus and his clothes shining white as lightning. And as a cloud overshadowed him, the voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. I'll sit, in, I'll sit down now and have no more to say. What he says is law and truth. Hallelujah. As we begin to open this up and as we begin to look into this, I want to just bring out Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 because it's not just Christ and what he did and where we're, and we look to that. That is our sacrifice. That's a perpetuation for our sins. That's the perfect one. That's the, the son of God. That's the one that deserves all the glory and the honor. That's the one that indwells us. It's the same God yesterday today, and forever. But in all of it, it was for a purpose that whom he did for no. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn, not the lastborn, but the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. It was for a purpose that he was saying, I'm not the only one to come to this place. I'm not the only one to be birthed, and I'm not the only one, as we read in, 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 uh, up earlier in the scripture there, uh, up in... Uh, Galatians, thank you, I thought it was Galatians. Yeah, up in Galatians, as we read it, where he says that, 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 that we would be under tutors and under governors until the time appointed of the Father. So it's not just that he would be the firstborn, but also that he, there would be others that would come to a place of adoption. In John chapter 17, verse 21, it says, in the, Jesus praying here where he would pray and he would say that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. How are they going to believe that God sent Jesus Christ, that he's still come in the flesh today? Hallelujah. That they, you and I, might be one in Christ says, in the glory that thou gavest me have I given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Amen. I and them, and thou and me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, that thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Amen. So in other words, he's saying, yes, I am the perfect one, but I desire and I pray that there would be a people that would come to a place of unity as I and the Father are. Not always out after each other, but rather they would recognize there's a spirit in them. The same spirit in me is the same spirit in you. It's the same spirit in you, and it has to bring about a unity and a maturity of that unity. Not just on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night and a Sunday night and a Friday night youth service and a Tuesday night prayer meeting, but that there would be a unity of the Spirit so I could get up in the morning. Hallelujah. And the Spirit would begin to make intercession on my behalf, things that I don't even know about. A unity. Are you with me? A spirit, not something that's reliant upon me walking down the pew and saying, how you doing, Brother Judah? What's bothering you today? What's going on? Yeah, I'll pray for you. But something on the inside that begins to reach out. Say, something's bothering my brother. I feel a need to pray for so-and-so. I feel a need to reach out to so-and-so. I feel a need to be on my knees for so-and-so. And I don't know why, but there's a spirit in me that's reaching out to them because their spirit's reaching out to the spirit that's in me. Oh my. As we read in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. God's kingdom doesn't need 5G network. 
Hallelujah. It doesn't need cell towers and how to operate properly. It has the best connectivity you've ever experienced. And it's not called Wi-Fi. Praise God. It's called the new birth. That you and I could be in the exact same spirit. That you never could go out of touch with it. That you're sealed until the day of your redemption. That my brother sealed today, my sister sealed the day of her redemption brings about a connectivity one with another till you know. As the father said, I know what you have need of before you even pray it. They would ask Brother Branham, which, which God do we pray to? A father that art in heaven, Jesus Christ the Son. He says, pray to the one that's within you. Pray to the Holy Ghost, because that's the same God yesterday and forever. He's all the same one, and now he's dwelling in you. You don't have to pray off and wait for an answer. It ain't snail mail out to God, no. It's the very same God that's indwelling in you that you could get yourself out of the way and begin to have communication with the creator of heavens and earth. Not something that I control, but it's he controlling me. For he is our king. He's the king of saints. Right now, Brother Brown, this is a church age book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, right now, it is a spiritual kingdom. Luke 17, the kingdom of heaven is within you. He says, it is not of, it is not of this world system, even as we are not of this world. That's the reason we act different from the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we reflect the spirit of the world of our rebirth where Jesus is the king. Oh, I hope you can catch that. We reflect the spirit of the world of our rebirth. In other words, this kingdom being a spiritual kingdom that is within you, you are walking in a spiritual kingdom while your flesh walks on this earth. You are essentially living between two worlds, unable to come to terms with this one. Why? Because there's something on the inside that says, I'm not of this world, I'm a citizen of heaven, and I'm a reflection of the spirit that rules that world, which is Jesus the King. That's why our women don't dress in men's clothing. They don't cut their hair. They don't use all those cosmetics and other things that the world likes so much. Why? Because we're a reflection of the spirit of that world. Hallelujah. Makes me wonder what spirit it is when I see sisters doing that. When I see brothers allowing their wives to do that. What spirit's ruling the home? Is it really a reflection of the kingdom of our rebirth or is it a reflection of the spirit of this world? What's the spirit of this world? It's a woman's age. America is gone and they're they're, they're flipping through all kinds of magazines. I want to look pretty like this and husbands, I got to look masculine like this and I need to work out and be buff and be huge. If that's all it's about, God have mercy on our souls. We need to be a reflection of a heavenly kingdom, that there's something that's greater than all this world has to offer. This flesh will drop away anyways. It'll die, it'll rot in the grave. Our dominion is the dominion over sin. That's part of the same quote. Our dominion is the dominion over sin. It is enforced through the power that is in the spirit of Christ that indwells us. Oh, praise be to God. 
It's the dominion that is already the title deed back in the hands of the believers. A a dominion over sin. Over unbelief. In force. In power. Hallelujah. Every kingdom on earth is going to be tore down, but ours will remain. Amen. Let me drop some things in here. Same message, Church Age Book, Revelation, Jesus Christ. He says, I admit, it takes a real revelation of the Holy Ghost to see the truth of the Godhead these days. When we see we are in the midst of the perverting of such so much scripture. But the prevailing, overcoming church is built on revelation so we can expect God to reveal his truth to us. Oh, (laughs) hallelujah. It's not a hope so or a maybe so. We can expect God to reveal his truth to us. Because he will have a church. He will have a bride that will be spotless, that will be virtuous, that will not be beguiled as Eve was. He will have a bride that will stand in this day so we can expect him to bring it to pass the way he said he would, which is by revelation. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. He says, however, he goes on to say, you actually don't need a revelation on water baptism. Wow. Sometimes we really dumb revelation down. Do you see the revelation of water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ? Brother Branham says, you don't need a revelation for that. He says, it is right there staring you in the face. Would it be possible that one minute for the apostles to be led astray from a direct command of the Lord to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then find them in willful disobedience? They knew what that name was. And there is not one place in the scripture where they were baptized in any other way but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you don't need a revelation for that. That's staring you right in the face. Common sense would tell you that the book of Acts is the church in action. And if if they baptize that way, then that's the way to baptize. Praise God. There's some things that you and I, we don't need a revelation for. We don't need a revelation to understand. And Satan has so perverted scriptures in the minds of secular believers to the point where they're looking for revelation. Their ultimate confidence is, well, we won't understand that until we get to the other side. If that's your attitude, you will never understand it. You can expect God to reveal himself to you. Since there are some things, though, that we don't need a revelation for, it's a simple instruction that may be received. If we will be humble enough to put aside our own thinking and just accept the word of God on the basis that it's the word of God. Amen. Things like baptism, foot washing, communion. Those are ordinances, not revelations. He said, this do you till I come. Do communion. Wash one another's feet. But inside of those things, those are ordinances. You don't need a revelation. They're outward identifications of a believer. But there is revelations within them that will take you to higher heights and closer walks with God. Hallelujah, you don't need a revelation to see true water baptism, but it is a revelation of Jesus Christ himself to you when you recognize you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
That's the revelation that's hidden within the ordinance. There's healing in the cup when we come and take communion. There's healing there. There's peace there. There's sanctification there. Why? All of these things are in there. But those are revelations within the ordinance. Hallelujah. There's a revelation even within foot washing as Jesus said, just go wash one another's feet. But there's a revelation there when we recognize this isn't just somebody's feet. This isn't me just being humble to the word of God. This is the feet of Jesus Christ. This is him today, him in flesh, that I could wash his feet, that I could humble myself and bow before him, not before the person sitting there. Hallelujah. Now remember this, Christ in the true church is a continuation of the book of Acts. But the book of Revelation shows you, shows how that the Antichrist spirit would come into the church and defile it and make it lukewarm, formal, and powerless. It exposes Satan's and reveals his works, which is what? Which is his attempted destruction of God's people and discredation of God's word. That's what he's been trying to do since the fall in the garden. He's still trying to do it today. Destroy you and discredit the word. And oftentimes destroy you by discrediting the word. Because if he can get you to lose faith in the word, then he can attack you. He says, write down, he's fighting this, write down to the time he's cast in the lake of fire. He fights that. He can't stand revelation. The message of the hour came by our way. The point of the message was not to see wonderful miracles. It was not to see people healed. Those were signs pointing to the message. It was an attraction to what God was doing. And the message was sent for a purpose. It was to unlock the fullness of the atonement. It was to give you, in other words, a revelation, a complete revelation of what the atonement is and what it does. Under successive ages, in past ages, they lived by faith in the atonement. But all that was unlocked to them in Luther's age was justification. In Wetley's age was sanctification. In the Pentecostals with the gifts of the Spirit. That's what was unlocked to them. It was all there in the atonement. But certain portions of it were opened up to them for their age. As God gave them revelation. And that's what the Holy Ghost was in that age. It brought them that far. As we find even in John chapter 16. say, There's many things I have to say to you. But you cannot bear it yet at this time. But when he has come. He will begin to teach you all things. He will. He, what the things. Whatever things he hears of the father. He will tell you. What is it? It's a progressive revelation. God's always been doing that. Down through seven ages. Progressively revealing himself. But in our day, we've got by Malachi chapter 4, by, by Revelations 10, 7, where it says, in the days of the seventh angel, right? All the mysteries of God should be finished. It would go on to say, take the book, eat the book, right? You need to do these things. You, you need to prophesy. There, all these things need to happen. But what, what was going on in all of it? He was opening up the entirety of the atonement to you. It's in the fullness of our days. With all the mysteries being revealed, he's opened himself up so you and I can live so completely in him. 
So we can't just come by justification that Martin Luther, yeah, Martin Luther, he could preach justification. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith and go home and smoke a cigar and be born again. Because that's as far as what was revealed in him. But as it came out in Wesley, right, there became sanctification. You realize, I can't do that anymore. Sisters, you need to dress right. Brothers, you need to act right. There needs to be a sanctified life. The Holy Ghost began to wash the church in this way by the washing of the water of the word. And there was an age when the preaching of the word went forth like never before. Great men that rose up and preached day and night and midday and preached and preached and preached and traveled, rode on horses and took ships and spread the gospel far and wide. Why? Washing the people by the preaching of the word. The word was going forth in this way, but now we've come even beyond that into the days of, of Pentecost when the gifts of the Holy Spirit were poured out upon the people, and that was the Holy Ghost. It was genuine. It was so real. I wouldn't even dare speak against it. It was real, but we've gone beyond that now where he's saying the fullness of the word has been received stored. Amen. We're living in that age where there's no excuse to go back and say, well, I just want the gifts or I just want to do this and I just want to do that. No, the Holy Ghost has gone beyond that and he's progressed to a place where he preached services like the mighty God unveiled before us. Christ is the mystery of God revealed. What was it? God showing I'm taking the veil off of myself and I've put the veil of revelation upon people where as long as you receive a revelation of who I am, you can break beyond that veil and you can have full access to the atonement. Amen. Because full obedience to the word of God, it entitles you to the token. It entitles you to the token, which is what? It's something to say the price has been paid. I have been granted access. Hallelujah. So that we now today have the ability to live in a token environment, in an atonement environment, in a Holy Ghost environment, in our personal walk and in our homes. All that God has given us a dominion over, dominion over what? Over sin. We don't have to live partial with sin and partial with that. No, he's given us full dominion over these things. To create a heavenly atmosphere. To be an amateur creator. Romans 8 and 29. If I read it again to you. says for whom he did for no. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover whom he did predestinate. Them he also called. Whom he also called. Them he also justified. And whom he justified. Them he also will someday. No. Them he also glorified. Past tense. Everything in the atonement is past tense. That he has already glorified you. He has already justified you. He has already sanctified you. He has already glorified you. He's paid for all of it in the atonement. It's yours to claim. And all you need to claim it is a token to be able to walk in there and say, God, I'm here in your great variety store and everything, the shelves are full. Hallelujah. It's an amazing variety store. It's got invisible workers. You take one off the shelf, you turn around, turn back, it's full again. 
Hallelujah, you don't have to worry. Your brother didn't take the last bit of peace. There's more peace on the shelf for you. Your brother didn't take the last bit of joy. There's more joy on the shelf for you. Your brother didn't take the last bit of healing. There's more healing on the shelf for you. It's an infinite God. He's so infinite that when he came down in, the, in Acts chapter 2 and he divided himself, he was so infinite in God, the fullness of the attribute of God dwelt in Jesus Christ. He was infinite. He could do anything. But let me ask you this. If you take infinite and you divide it up into an infinite amount of pieces, each one of those pieces is what? Infinite. So even though he might have divided himself up, you say, Brother Andrew, he's divided himself through every single age, seven church ages. There's been thousands. There's been maybe millions of believers down through the ages, and all these things have happened. How many have had the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost that's in you is still infinite. When you pray, who do you pray to? Well, I pray to the infinite God. Praise God. Where is he? He'll be with you, even in you, to the end of the world. He has already glorified you. So I don't feel glorified. Praise God. You're still in this body. You're still being tested. You're still being tried. You're still coming to a place of perfection. The fullness of the atonement is not here to bring us something new. Oh, I hope you can see that. The fullness of the atonement didn't bring us something new. The fullness of the atonement didn't add to itself. It was always there. When Christ made the atonement, he paid for all of it at Calvary. But he only revealed so much at a time, as much as the people could handle it. You couldn't imagine what they would have called Luther had he revealed what he revealed to Brother Branham, to Martin Luther. And he come out preaching about sons of God and preaching about you were in Christ before the foundation of the world and preaching about attributes and preaching about all these things, the, the mighty revelations and preaching about the man of sin that would be revealed. You imagine all those revelations that are now made known today, true water baptism and everything that's going on and all of the, the wonderful revelations we have and Martin Luther's preaching that, they would have said, you're crazy. But God knows what he's doing. He revealed himself a little bit here and a little bit here, as much as the people could handle. But in all of it, it was Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. To turn the atonement, the fullness of the atonement being unlocked by the message, which is Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, that he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. What was the purpose? To take us back to what he had unlocked. To bring our faith back to be able to claim the fullness of what was there in the beginning. The disciples at the death of Jesus went away discouraged. Peter went back to fishing. Everyone's joined him. Everyone's went back to their things. Thought, well, that was it. We don't really know where to, where to go now. Because the fullness of the attribute of God was in Christ. But upon his resurrection ascension, they were encouraged, but they still didn't know how to do it. They still weren't understanding. He said, well, no, go and wait till you've received power. Go wait until I come into you. But then all of a sudden, when they received power from on high, they recognized that the same God that was in a body born of a virgin was now in them. 
The same one that was there walking with them, that they saw heal Jairus' daughter, that they saw raise Lazarus, that they seen on Mount Transfiguration, that they seen ascend up on high and resurrected and all of these things. Now it's the same God because they realize I can do the same works and greater than these shall you do because I go unto the Father. It wasn't a different God. It was the same God that was there on Mount Carmel that recognized Elijah's sacrifice and consumed the sacrifice. Amen. It's the same God that was there on Mount transfiguration, proving himself again in each dispensation of who he is. He proved himself on Mount Carmel that God is God. He proved himself on Mount Transfiguration, Jesus is God. And now he's proving himself again on Mount Zion, where the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God. Amen. Unto the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable company of angels, general assembly, the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just man, made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling, and that speaketh better things than that of Abel. This is what you're come to, to do what? To prove God again. To prove that he's again, as 1 John said, anyone who says that God, Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh is not of God. But any spirit that says he is now, present tense, come in the flesh is of God. Notice what you're come unto. I don't have time to take all these things, but just in one of them it says, you've come unto the spirits of just men made perfect. As we're dealing with placing by revelation, it says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth, or in other words, it has no power. It doesn't avail anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. A new creature has power with God. It says, you are come unto the spirits of just men, men that are already justified. In other words, he's not just in the business of a birth. He's in the business of bringing you to maturity. You're come unto Mount Zion that you would be one, as Jesus and the Father is one, to prove to the world that God has sent you and sent him. Hallelujah. And that power is the same thing that's working in us that makes us new creatures in Christ. There's where the power comes from. As our faith brings down our faith, which is love, it casts away all fear that we think God wouldn't keep his word. When I saw the very love and grace of Christ, then it brings him right down to us. The mighty power of God begins to work into the church. Love that conquers, I tell you, love is the most powerful thing there is in the world. What is it that brings it down? It's our faith, our love of God that brings God down to work in the church. It's not even our love one for another. It's our love for God. It's our love for him that allows him to, to, to work through us to love one another. Perfect faith, he says, now the only thing that you have to do then is have faith in what you are. Have faith in what the word says you are. Are you with me? I'm not preaching on a new birth this morning, I'm preaching on placing. You need to have faith in what the word of God says you are. If you're born again, have faith in what the word of God says you are. 
Jesus had faith in the word of God, and he said, it is written of me. Didn't David say in the Psalms and the prophets, all them speak of him. I'm the bread of life, come down from heaven, amen. I'm the tree of life, the garden of Eden, the garden I'm the tree of life from the garden of Eden. I am all these things. I am that I am. And he knew with that perfect faith that he was the anointed Messiah, that the spirit of God was upon him. He said, now I and myself do nothing, but it's my faith in God. In other words, I says, he, words, he says, I do nothing but what the Father shows me. But the Ram takes that, what's he saying? He's saying, I do nothing but it's my faith in God that does it. How do I be about the Father's business? Have faith in God. And God was in him, the Word made manifest. And when the Word of God comes in you and is made, it's made manifest, for you are a believer, and the believer is the faith of God move, that moves in you. About the Father's business. Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 2 and verse 9, sorry. It says, but we see Jesus. Are you still with me? We're doing okay. We got lots of time. We're good. It says that we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, oh, hallelujah, should taste death for every man. For it became him. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the to, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. I wonder if you could look at this for a moment, because this word here became quite literally means it befit him, or it was even he was even to be conspicuous about. In other words, he made it obvious. It was the obvious thing that he did. His death of the cross was for the reason of bringing many sons to glory. <laughs> the world has made it so many other reasons. But Paul says the obvious reason that he died on the cross was to bring many sons to glory. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. We're all of the same kingdom. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare my name unto my brethren, and in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. I love that, 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 that word, midst. It's the same word that's used in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, verse 6, where it says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the spirits of God sent out into the earth. The same one, he says, John turned and saw, I saw one in the midst. The word there is in the middle or the intermediate position between. Or it means one that stands in the gap of or proceeding out of the breach. It, it just so happens to be that he's saying, I will declare my name among the brethren. 
I'm the same, the same one that's sanctified, the same one, or the same that has been sanctified. In other words, I'm standing in the midst of the church, will, will I sing praise unto thee? And also where it talks about in the midst of the throne. What's he saying? He's saying, it's the same one that walked on earth in human flesh, seated at the right hand of God in full power and authority, the same one on earth in the form of the Holy Ghost in his bride, giving her authority over the devil by revelation. He's the same one. Where he's saying, in other words, in heaven he stands in the breach. On earth, in the midst of his church, he's standing in the breach. He's there making a way for us to come to glory. Christ in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. It says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he will hear, he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. Not just things that are written, things to come. And he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine. This is Jesus talking. He'll glorify me. He'll receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I unto you that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Hallelujah. Standing in the breach, God in you, bringing you to glory. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17. I think we've nailed that down. sleeping yet we're doing wonderful Matthew chapter 17 verse 1 and after six days Jesus taketh Peter James and John his brother bringeth them up into an high mountain apart and was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when his disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were so afraid. And Jesus came and touched them, saying, Arise, be not afraid. And, the, and when they lifted up their face, they saw no man save Jesus alone. When Brother Brennan would take this text and he would preach the message, Hear ye him over and over and over again in his wonderful service. But I want to just pick this up for a moment and recognize this is Jesus' adoption ceremony. Amen. It's not not, not saying that this is adoption. It's his adoption ceremony. It's where Christ takes him, God takes him aside and recognizes this is not just my beloved son, but hear ye him. Where Where we read the quote in the beginning where he says he sets down and says, I won't say no more. Let him speak. Whatever he says is the same as me speaking. But now if we take this, the, the, the message here in Abraham's grace covenant, he says the dove cannot light on nothing but a lamb has to be the same nature. I believe I preached this message one time, the dove and the lamb. He says, it's the greatest message I was ever given to me of the Lord. 
He says, then God represented himself. He represented himself from heaven, a bird, the meekest of all the birds, a dove. And God and the Holy Ghost is the self-same person. If it didn't, Jesus had two fathers. Amen. He says, but so when he came descending down from heaven, not another three people left down there talking. He says, but they saw the Spirit of God like a dove. That's who the Spirit was. Not the third person talking. Not three gods, but three offices of the same God. God the Father in the pillar of fire. God the Son in human flesh. And God the Holy Ghost in you. It's the same God. Jesus said, that day you'll know that I am in the Father, the Father in me, I in you, and you in me. God trying to get back to fellowship with his creature that he created in the Garden of Eden. Hallelujah. How's he doing it? By himself in you. Bringing you to glory. He is already glorified. Hallelujah. He can't disobey his own laws. Man was sinful when he settled on Mount Sinai. If anyone would have touched that mountain, we know that. Hebrews chapter 12 says, you are not come to the mountain that can be touched with hands. It's not a natural mountain. It's a spiritual mountain that is Mount Zion. He says, but, but, but if anyone would touch that mountain back in Exodus, they must be thrust through with a dart. But when he was made flesh, we could touch him. Now he become part of us, see, to lead us and guide us and fellowship with us again. Oh, my, my, how scrupled and uncouth that people take God's word and maketh when somebody get a little bit of light on it. And they run over there and organize and they take an organization and fuss with the next fellow. He says, why don't we just say there's room for us all? There's room for all of us in this. Let's march towards Zion. Amen. We're not here to march towards anything else. Let's keep marching on to Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem, which is above, which is the mother of us all. We are not divided. We are Christians. He would say we're not Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians. Let me say it this way. We're not this church, that church, that church, that church. We ought to be believers of the revealed word of the hour, which makes us what? Christians. Hallelujah. When we receive Christ as our personal Savior, be filled with the Holy Ghost, we are God's sealed product. Hallelujah. You are God's sealed product. You're the purpose. Someone doesn't create a business to have a business, they're selling a product. They have something that this is the purpose of what they're doing. If they're making cars, they don't just want to have a nice factory and a great big assembly line and everything's wonderful. Well, we could make cars. Well, it's a beautiful factory. What are you going to do with it? We could make cars. Well, why don't you make cars? Well, we could make cars. It doesn't make any sense. The point is to make a car. The point is to have the, mater the raw material come in and form it and shape it into what it was meant to be. You are God's sealed product. You brought to him the raw material. And he, you're the workmanship of his hands. He took that raw material, he formed it into the image that he had of you before the foundation of the world so that he could positionally place you as a son of God. Jesus had proven to God, that he's been the right kind of a son. 
And God took him up on top of the mountain, brought out three witnesses, three heavenly and three earthly witnesses, and he clothed him in immortality. When, he looked, when they looked up, they said his garment shone as the sun, a supernatural something had taken place. His garments glistened like the sun in the middle of the day. As white as they could be, God placed on him the robe of immortality, showing that he had received him. And the message here you hear, he says, that's the thing that God will do to his sons here on earth someday. He will call you aside, church. If you'll obey him and stay on the word and believe it. And he will place into the church before the coming of Jesus Christ. He will place into the church all the powers that Christ had in him will be in the church. Hallelujah. All that God was, he poured into Jesus. All that Jesus was, he poured into church. God wanted his work done. He sent it into his son. The son, wanting the work done, sent it into the church. At that day, you'll know that I am in the Father, the Father in me, I and you and you in me. At that day, because the same power of God that was in Jehovah God rested on Jesus Christ, and the same power that rested on Jesus Christ rests in the placed sons in the body of Christ. Placing of a son. Take him out to a certain place. Have a ceremony before angels. Place him potentially, place him, sorry, positionally, what he is in the body of Christ. Then that person has authority. Let me say this. You might count me a fanatic from this night on. The very same thing that I'm speaking of will be done. There will be power put into the church. And now is coming in that the Holy Spirit will so anoint the people till they'll speak the word and it'll create itself right there. We haven't seen powers like coming into the church now. I know it for a fact. When does this happen? That's the question on everybody's mind. Lord, what about me? I want to be able to speak it and it happen right there. I want that power in me. Jesus was given, Brother Brown would say, about 30 years testing and trying. And then three years of hard trial. He says, now, the pillar of fire is the Logos that went out from God. The Logos, which is actually the attribute of the fullness of God. When God became into a form to where it could be seen, it was the anointing of the great spirit that went forth. It's condescending, coming down. God the Father, the Logos, was, over, was up over Israel. He was holy and he could not bear sin there had to be a blood offering right in Eden and I'll say it this way right as he stood over there over Israel there had to be a continually offering from the tabernacle they had to be once a year they'd make a yearly atonement for the sins of the people why so the presence of the logos could abide there had to be a continual sacrifice there when the logos then became flesh among us 
The Logos dwelt in a human body, which was the sacrifice. When man was made in the image of God, and then God came down in the image of man to redeem man and brought man and God together, heavens and earth hugged and kissed each other. God and man embraced each other as fatherhood and sonship. When the Logos became flesh and dwelled among us, Jesus said, I came from God and I go to God. Is that right? His death, burial, resurrection, ascension, when the body was taken up and set at the right hand of God. Now, I don't mean God's got a right hand, but I mean full power and full authority. That in the name uh, that that in that name everything in heaven is named after it and subject to it. Everything in earth is named after it and subject to it. A name above all names, Jesus Christ. Now forgive me for laying in some more here, but I, I, I think it's necessary. If you put up there, Hebrews chapter ten verse seven. It says, "Then said I, Lo, I come." And the volume of the book is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings of sin thou wouldest not, neither haddest pleasure in sin, which, which were offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God, and taketh away the first that he may establish the second. As I said, when he came down, in order for the presence of God to even come down in that tabernacle, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a blood atonement. In order for God to even accept Adam and Eve, there had to be a sacrifice made. The lamb had to be slain. By revelation, Abel caught that sacrifice and slew a lamb for his own sins. In order for God to even be pleased with him and to bless him in that way. But now he says, take away the first that the second may be established by the which we are all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Amen. And every priest standing daily ministering and offering to oftentimes the same sacrifice, which could never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, that by, by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By this one offering he has perfected. This word is not exactly maturity, but it is to be completed. By one offering he has completed forever them that are sanctified or to be brought to the end of fulfillment. There is enough power in that one atonement, in other words, that, that, that was made to bring all, of, all that he sanctifies to their complete manifestation of the attribute of God. By that atonement. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws, where? In their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, that you become written epistles read of all men. Amen. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now that where remission of sins is, there is no more offering for sin. In other words, where the sins are remitted, you don't need to continue to make an offering for that sin. He doesn't remember it anymore. It's gone. Now this Logos, I'll continue on the quote that I was reading, questions and answers. This Logos that was in him, which is the fullness of the attribute of God, that was in him, which was the Spirit of God, the anointing through the sanctifying grace of the blood, brought many sons of God which is anointed with the same Logos, 
Hallelujah. That in Christ, it was the fullness of it, but now it's bringing many sons of God, which is anointed with the same Logos that he was anointed with. Now, on the day of Pentecost, when it came down and it went, it came to an elected group, a selected group that were identified by this pillar of fire. Hallelujah. We sure are thankful today that we have the identification of the pillar of fire that identified the message to show this is my people, those that will believe this. I'm identifying with this. Amen. And he identified it by the pillar of fire showing that God had separated himself unto man. Do you get it? God the Logos separating himself into man. God not one person, not in one person now. He's in the church universal. God was bottled up and confined in one man, Jesus Christ, but now he's bottled up and confined in the whole universal church of the living God. Greater works than these shall you do. Satan's Eden, he says this, it says, so now God knew that we would be here. And then he put us in flesh so we could be contacted. Remember where we started, we were attributes, but God desired fellowship. To contact you. God knew that you would be here. Why? Because you're his attribute. He put you in flesh so that he could contact you. In order that he could contact, he could become one of us when he, when he became Jesus Christ. The son of God himself. The fullness of the manifestation of God. Therefore, that was God's purpose to display his attributes in fellowship. See, the children of, as, and as children of God, we are a part of God's attribute that was in him, made flesh like he was made flesh, so we can have fellowship one with the other as the family of God on the earth. Think of it for a moment. Jesus standing there on Mount Transfiguration, the Logos, the fullness of God, the attribute of God shining out through him. They said his face, we read it in in Matthew 17, verse 2, he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun. Why would it shine as the sun? The fullness of the attribute of God was shining out through him. The very logos of God was shining out through him. It was the word for the day. Jesus standing there at his adoption ceremony had come to a place where the fullness of the attribute of God was in him. That was who Jesus was. Jesus was the fullness of the attribute of God. But we are a part of that attribute. For us to come to a place where, being, where, where we could be lifted up for the adoption ceremony that God will honor you, not a birth, but a placing, but the, but the positional placing of his attribute. What does that mean? It means that, that, that it makes your adoption then what makes your adoption ceremony is when you come to the fullness of the attribute of yourself from the mind of God before the foundation of the world. That's your adoption ceremony. When will it happen? When you come by what? Obedience to the word. Believe it. Live your revelation. So that you can come to a place where God could look at you and say, that's my son. The the thought that I had before the foundation of the world is now standing in front of me. That's the adoption ceremony. It's by revelation. 
just share one more quote here. That's okay. Give me a few more minutes. We see we were made for an eternal purpose. Because you was the manifestation of an attribute that was in God. That thought of you, thought of you and expressed you. That God thought of you and expressed you. And he made an earth to take you out of. To make you a human being. You were not made for the earth. The earth was made for you. Sin come along and perverted his way. You come anyhow, but you was lost with the world. So he come and redeemed you. The expressed attribute. That's you. And also redeems the earth in the same way. Hallelujah. He would come, Ephesians 1, 10, we read it, that when the dispensation of the fullness of times would come, he would gather together all things in Christ Jesus, even in him. He says, even if we're putting it down, he says, now call it not a dispensation, not a seventh day, but the fullness of times. When the fullness of times is come, when that time has been fulfilled, when there is no more time, then you go into eternity. And the seventh age is over. That's it. The rest of it's all over. Time is no more. But after time has been fulfilled, all sin is gone, taken away at the millennium, the great white throne judgment, a type of the Holy Ghost. After the world is, is, is on fire, baptized, the baptism of the holy fire from heaven, all sin is gone, germs is gone, all devils is gone, all temptations is gone, all evil is gone. He says that's the same thing he does when he gives you the Holy Ghost baptism with fire, that he comes and he dwells in you. We sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus because he, we are already in him. We don't get physically lifted up into heavenly places, but by revelation, we're lifted into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not we will be, but we are now seated in Christ Jesus. How do we get into it? By one Holy Ghost baptism, by one spirit, are we all baptized into Christ, which we are now, won't be, but are now. He is the great spiritual king over the spirit that is in us because we were in him At the beginning. He is our king. King of saints. Right now a spiritual kingdom. Not of this world system. But we reflect the spirit. Of the world of our rebirth. Where Jesus is king. Oh don't you love him. Say unto this mountain then. Be moved. Don't doubt in your heart. What? The placings of sons. When you come to that place, he says, say unto this mountain. But believe when you said what you said will come to pass, and you can have what you said. The placing of the church in position where the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost comes into the church. The then critics' mouths will be shut. He says, listen, it'll be a short time then. Jesus, right off the mountain, went straight to Calvary. Notice, it won't last long, but it'll be here. Hallelujah. God placing his sons. Let's stand to our feet. Let me just give you this as a seed for the next time I get a chance to minister. 
Brother Branham says, do you know that God never made two men the same? In other words, your placing won't be the same as his placing or her placing. Your ceremony won't be like Christ's. It won't be a physical lifting up between this. It'll be with revelation. And eventually it will consummate in the change of these mortal bodies. God never made two men the same, though. There's no two of you in the world that's ever alike that's got the same thumbprint. God made men different, and he has diversity of gifts that he sends them into into the church. But we just cramp down on one, and there you go. If you don't get the wisdom of the Spirit, that's the reason God can't place us into the position where we should be in his body. Why? Because we're trying to get someone else's gift. We want someone else's place. And God's trying to say, no, you're a toe. Stop trying to be on the hand. That's not your place. It's down here. Hallelujah. That's the reason God can't place us that way. He says, for to one is given this gift, to another all, all sorts of gifts, to another, another sort of gift, and forth, bringing out the body. He, but we want to just exactly be like one another. He said, we must use the wisdom of the word. The Bible, that's the blue, what the blueprint is. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and Sing that once more, Lord, prepare me. 